What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Coaches Network. Bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. Today's guest is Jason Blake. Good afternoon, Jason. How are you? Hi, Yas. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thank you. So, uh, um, yourself? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Excited for this. Likewise. So, Jason, obviously, for those that maybe aren't too familiar with who you are and you know, what you what you do, uh, would you mind just giving us a brief backdrop around what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been around coaching and, and kind of coaching leadership positions now for 20 years. Um, Qualification-wise, uh, pro-licensed coach, completed the, the coach education pathway in England, um, and now I, I live and work in Canada and just starting the Canadian pathway. Um, fortunately enough, um, Canada Soccer has an equivalency program so they've recognized the pro license that I've done already. And um, they recently awarded me the Canadian A license, which was uh, very good of them. And, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm starting to be mentored on their coach development, um, kind of coach tutoring, different names across the world, but this is uh, coach developers here. Um, and just started that process. So. Uh, really keen for that and then I'm, I'm sure we'll speak a bit about my background but work predominantly in the academy system in England with a couple of other um, roles along the journey that we'll probably speak about. Brilliant thank you for that um, Jason. I just wanted to kind of you know talk to you about your journey and you know I want to take us right back to the start of the journey hopefully not too long for you. Um, what caught your passion with coaching how did you get into it you know what was it about coaching and what was that moment you thought yeah this is for me. Well, it's a funny one, really, yes, because 
it wasn't something that I had my eye on. I was, um, I wasn't the next professional player. Um, I was a, I was a non-league player in England and, and, and not at the top level of non-league. I enjoyed playing, uh, but, but it was an average non-league level. Um, and at the time I was, I was playing locally. I, I, I live in Hampshire, well, I lived in Hampshire um, and I was playing locally. Uh, Basingstoke Town was my first club. And then I played for a few around that area. Um, and I, my day job was just just in in the real world. You know, I was a I was a salesman in one role. I was uh, a tech support in another role. Um, always enjoyed computers growing up. Uh, and then one day, a good friend of mine that, that was a professional until he had a, a serious knee injury, and and he started coaching. And he was working at Southampton Football Club. Um, very good friend of mine, and 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 he was like, Jay, you know, there's um there's an opportunity in our community department in in Hampshire if if you're interested for coaches. And um, I'd never thought about it before. And, and, and we'll probably speak about this guy a little bit more, but, but his name's Kevin. And Kevin said it to me and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I'm interested to know a little bit more. So um, he put me in contact with the, 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 the kind of um, community manager for, for Hampshire, a guy called John Donoghue. And, and we got chatting and, and John asked if I'd like to come in and maybe learn a little bit more about the coaching scheme uh, in the community department at Southampton and if I'd be interested. Um, and I was curious. So I, I met with John and we had a chat and he actually introduced me to a couple of other coaches that were already working in the community department. And I reached out to them and, and actually started to just go and watch a few of them working. And, and it wasn't even shadowing at this stage. It was just going to see what community coaching is because we obviously we have this, this kind of idea of the elite coaches we watch every day in the Premier League or wherever. And and actually, as probably, you know, yes, that schools coaching is very different. So I went to watch a couple of school sessions, watched a couple of after school clubs, watched um, a couple of um, kind of grassroots club sessions that were being done through these coaches in the community department. And and actually, I, I, I liked what I saw and I found it very intriguing. I liked the people that, that I, I I'd kind of met through it already. And um, so I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to give this a go. And then uh, started my journey that way. You know, I think one of the things right at the top of what you said is that, you know, you weren't, you didn't really have your eye on it. And I think it's quite a lot of us, myself um, included, that never really thought about coaching as a potential pathway. And it just kind of, we almost stumbled into it in some ways, if you know, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, so I think just to add to that, yes, I yeah. think it's important to highlight as well that I was 23 years old. So I, I probably didn't really have much idea professionally what I wanted to do still at that stage anyway. So not that coaching was never really appealing, but I was 23 and I was still figuring out those big life decisions. So I think that was a key aspect as to why I hadn't really thought about that yet. Definitely. You know, and obviously, you know, we've got that, you know, that, that prestigious award uh, framed up in your, you know, behind you there. A lot of time and, you know, an effort would have been spent uh, along the years to kind of get you to that stage eventually. So I wanted to, you know, kind of you know, get a bit more, on that journey that's, you know, you kind of around 23, you really start to step into the coaching world. Did you, did you already start undertaking your qualifications or what did that process look like? Um, I hadn't done any qualifications when I got asked to go in to visit those coaches at Southampton. That conversation I first had with the community officer was part of it was about getting qualified with the, the level one. Um, actually back then I actually did the junior team managers first. Um, which actually didn't last for much longer after I did it. I think I might have been one of the last cohorts to do that. Um, so then I, I did my level one while I was shadowing the coaches. Uh, I did it quite quickly. 
Fortunately, there was a course being delivered in Southampton. I think it was only, probably wasn't even a month later, I rung up Hampshire FA, got registered very quickly and um, and attended the course. And, and the tutor was the uh, the late John Gittens. Um, unfortunately, we, we lost John a, a year or so ago. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And what I liked about the way John delivered it was he, he was very... Uh, very, his emphasis was on, on technical detail already at the level one. So I know a lot, a lot is around kind of like fun game structure and organisation, but John was quite keen on getting technical detail in there. And I really love that. As a player of my modest level, I, I felt I was a technical player. So when your first coach education experience is a coach educator talking about technical detail, I think I, think I connected to that very quickly. And I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the course. It was only a couple of days. Um, with a couple of uh, classroom-based sessions as well, but really enjoyed it and got that boxed off really quickly that then enabled me to actually start formally working for the community department at Southampton. And um, and and not that it was about getting paid, but then, you know, it was formal, so I was getting paid as well. I didn't have to shadow anymore. Um, and what's really good is is 20 years on, actually those two coaches that I shadowed very early on, I still speak to now. Um, still in regular contact and I've moved around the world which we'll probably speak about but yeah those two guys mean the world to me because they they really supported me on on that kind of that that introduction but that induction as well at the same time um, so they were really important and, and really helped me with that transition because wow school schools coaching is is a challenge for sure yes and I, you know, well, thank you for that firstly and couple of things I want to touch and I'm sure we're going to go into more more of that journey over the conversation that we have now but I want to take you back to that that point around the technical aspect you know so one of the things I do actually um as you know in my day-to-day you know I, I actually deliver coach education courses as well so I deliver the level ones level twos um and the courses have shifted massively from what was you know 20 years ago to even 10 years ago when I took mine and I, I think that the courses have shifted so much, you know, that it's a, it is actually, in some cases, uh, refreshing to hear that on a level one course, there was a, con, you know, there was a, I guess, a focus around some of the technical aspects of the game on, on the journey that you was on. And certainly in the, you know, in the work that I do, um, I try and really shed a, a real, a real spotlight on that stuff too. I think is I think it goes, it, it goes completely under the radar now with the, new, with the current pathway, how, coaches are almost shying away from that and you know not all, not all, always down to their own uh, you know their intentions and their thoughts but sometimes the pathway I feel like has almost shifted so far across in in this idea of yeah, we need to have a blended approach of the four corners and I think that that stuff's great uh, it's definitely got a place and I think there's definitely some great work going across uh, you know certainly in England however I think it does leave room for coaches to kind of hide away from being uh, technically competent as coaches, um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think it has been a massive shift. Um, obviously, you know, it, it, I recently, you know, said made a statement that I feel that the coaches of, I guess, the next generation or the current generation coming through rather uh, are far less technically aware. Um, Yes, the new pathway is going to have some massive benefits in that it's going to create specialists potentially in different areas, whether that be psych, whether it be social, whether that be the physical aspects. Or, but I do think it just leaves too much room or, or a massive pillar for people to hide behind when it comes to you know, the technical, tactical stuff. 
Yes, I think it's a great topic. I think it is a really good topic. And, and I think I've thought about this a lot and I've had, I've had some experiences when I was, when I was working in, uh, in the academy at Burnley as, as the academy director and head of coaching. Uh, and, and that journey, you could start seeing the younger coaches that were coming into the game. You could see that they were kind of having that skill set that you just alluded to and maybe not as much technical detail. Um, I, I, think, I think the biggest thing for coaches is, is to have a complete toolbox. Um, I'm not very good with DIY, so I'm, I'm not going to use names of tools. But um, I think what the challenges that you've alluded to is I think we've got some coaches that are very, uh, very dependent on certain tools. And maybe that toolbox is lacking a few of the tools that should be in there. Um, technical knowledge and technical detail being one of them. Um, and, and I think I think we are going into that, that, that space a little bit with... with um, with, with a section of our coaching community. Uh, I, th I think, I think what's great and, and using John Gittins as an example is, you know, when you've got people involved in, in educating coaches that have played the game um, to the level that, that people like John and, and Guy Whittenham was a, was a, a, a coach educator in Hampshire as well. Um, when you've got people like that, that have played the game and they can pass on the technical detail that, that was their day job, which was their, their life for a, a period of time. I think that's really important. Um, and I think maybe the evolution of, of, of the triple P and the professional game, I think has maybe seen some people with great knowledge that perhaps weren't competent with computers and it and, and some of the things that have now come in that, that are standard, the, the transition in the last 10 years, I think we've lost a lot of that knowledge out of the game. And I think that's not now drip feeding down to the newer coaches that are coming in. Um, so I, th I think that's that's a big challenge. Um, if you if you look at content that's out in the world now, you know we we spoke about the X's and O's previously before we 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 done this recording, and there's a lot of information out there. But from where I look, I don't see many places that that are, that the content is focused on technical detail. So if the method of learning outside of formal education courses and 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 so on now is is online platforms and social media, actually, I'm not seeing it. Now, funnily enough, um, with the, the, the COVID situation and, and, and the shutdown of, of football or soccer um, at grassroots level, we've now seen a lot of at-home kind of um, interactions. Now, one of, the, one of the, the apps or products or whatever you want to call it that, that I looked at, and I've been intrigued by the many, many different platforms and channels and so on, one uh, is called Top Techers. And it's by the guys at, at the coaching manual. And uh, I had a look at it. And I've got to say, uh, everyone was uh, really good, really good players. Like they'll love it at home in their basement and so on, which is true. I think they will. Probably one of the best apps I've seen for coaching because their technical detail on each of their video videos of each of the, the moves and uh, the skills and, and so on that the players are asked to do. Their technical detail in the demonstration videos is outstanding. And so all the coaches in my networks, I've said, get on top techers, even if you haven't got players to use it, get on it because the technical detail on there is phenomenal. Uh, and I think, I think the guys actually, they de developed it in consultation with Rennie Mullenstein, I think. So they've got one of the best kind of technical coaches in the game to kind of run by their, their content. So yeah, I, I agree. Yes. I think there is a technical deficiency in coaching right now in, in certain areas, not everywhere. Um, and I think, I think uh, it will be interesting to see the next five, 10 years of the game, how that maybe might influence 
the kind of outcome of players we're creating and, and experiences people are getting. Definitely. I think one thing in particular, obviously you touched on there, is that it's a real challenge now is that it's where do coaches who maybe don't have a good grasp of that technical understanding have a good underpinning of that knowledge, where do they look to? You know, um, you, you're talking about resource there that, you know, I mean, I've heard of it, but a lot of people might not have. How do they come across that if they have access to that sort of network? And, um, you know, as, as connected as we are now with, you know, social media and the rest of it, um, some people are still going to be either hesitant or sceptical about some of these apps or, applic- you know, these platforms. Um, you know, hence, and that's part of, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, I guess I'm doing doing what I'm doing here and it's just about sharing that information. And, it, you know, what would your advice be to a, a, a coach listening to this who's, who's struggling with that? You know, is the first question. Secondly, beyond that, it's that technical part. Um, you know, and again, I, I say I try and make this point to a lot of the learners that I come across in my courses, in particular. In that, I personally, and this is my opinion only, um, I'm becoming. I don't want you know. I don't want to say impatient, but increasingly frustrated with the amount of coaches that are out there calling themselves coaches. But really, they just they just facilitating learning. They're just facilitating practices rather than actually facilitating the learning environment, um, and then calling themselves coaches. And uh, you know, it's a bit of a bugbear of mine, to be honest. So you know, I guess to kind of bring it round. You know, how, what would your advice be to coaches who can actually go out there and or what they should be doing to maybe obtain some of the technical information? Because the other aspect is, you know, the, I guess the immediate answer would be, well, I'll go and watch someone who's a bit more experienced than me, but. Yeah, unfortunately, the way the landscape's changed, that person still might not have that quality and they might have a UEFA B, they might have a UEFA A or even, you know, dare I say, a UEFA Pro licence and still not have that quality. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And and I think, one, we know content, there's so much content out there now. It's, it's an incredible volume of content. So there's two elements to, my, to answer your first question. Uh, I recommend all coaches should be curious and I haven't invented that. That's, that's just kind of you know uh important for coaches and, and when you think about some of the you know some of the the content that's out there in terms of volume it's tough to be curious and get your eye on everything so there is a balance what I don't suggest is you know coaches or potential coaches go on on social media now or on the internet and start looking and, and we might see them again in six months time when they come out of the rabbit hole and their brains have exploded because there's too much information um, and whether that's good information or bad information that's that's a challenge again so i would always say be curious is really important um in terms of of accessing kind of the technical information it's a challenge and and i think watching other coaches is really important sometimes and and i'm not saying it's a lottery but you you might hear of a good coach that's operating in your in your city and um you go and watch them and maybe their, maybe their strength isn't technical detail. It might take watching four or five coaches before you actually find one that, Oh, wow. You know, they're actually very technically focused in what they do. And, and, um, and yeah, it, 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 it's a challenge. I think, um, I think another aspect that's influenced it is if you look, and, and this was actually even before my time, but I've spoke to many people about it recently, the old qualification system, uh, wow even more than 20 years ago there was there was a qualification called the prelim and actually the prelim structure was predominantly all technical detail um 
And then when that would have evolved into kind of the level ones and so on. And from what I saw with other deliveries of level one, I was fortunate that I had John Gittins as a tutor that delivered the course, but he added in the technical emphasis because I've seen delivery in other places where the technical emphasis wasn't focused. Same content from the course, same game, same curriculum, but just not the same technical detail. So I think actually John back then put his own additional information in there. So the challenge being is, is I think the courses are now really looking at, at the holistic developing the person um, and creating the environment. So it's a real big challenge. And, and you know, if you if you look at who's operating out there, who, who are the best, best technical coaches? Now, um, I, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to work with, with Eddie Howe for a, a series of years. And and. Um, Again, very, very methodical thinker of the game, but but the technique was a huge part. And, and I believe the evolution of Bournemouth, there was a youth team coach there that, that moved on to become manager in his own right, Sean O'Driscoll, who was also very technically focused and he influenced Eddie and Eddie's now influenced me. Um, so I, I think I think it's just the challenge of trying to find a coach or, or you know, coach educators that, that maybe do have that passion for technical detail. Um, unfortunately, there's no signposts to them you've got to go and, and search and and watch coaches work and and maybe you know go on on at the moment we're obviously in in kind of a covid period so go online and see any online kind of conventions or coach education events where people might be talking about it and it it, it might take 10 events to visit before you find someone that does it but i think the key thing with it is the people that are proactive that that want to that, that want to learn will go and find it somewhere 100% and there's a couple of things that you talk about that really resonate with me and that element of uh, John, uh, you know, putting his own kind of spin on the on the course content, you know, the course content will stay the same and I say this to all learners that come on the courses that, that your course in terms of the content, it will be the same as every other, everyone else's course. However, where the, I guess, the attention or the, the, the real bits and nuggets you're going to get will be difficult depending on the group in front of the, in front of the, in front of the tutor essentially. And I think, you know, I consider myself quite fortunate in some ways in that. Um, and I don't know, you can probably relate to this to an extent. I, you know, I did my level one, level two, on your A for B kind of old style. Um, and then kind of, I was kind of in that crossover period, as, you know, as the new pathway was coming in where I, you know, I, I ended up completing my UA, my A license and my advanced youth award. Um, so for me, I can't, I consider myself quite lucky because I've had kind of both ends of the spectrum in that respect. And, you know, and I, I was able to kind of, really see where it had come from and where it's now at um and you know where it is now much more about a holistic level but actually i, I was given a good underpinning and a good grounding in terms of the technical aspect of things um you know, and just to kind of you know make another point on that and i think it's very important for coaches anyone who is listening to this and watching this that in no means well cert, you know are we saying that yeah there's a there's a one-size-fits-all approach and this is the only bit of technical detail on how to do this uh, type of action whether that's a shot whether that's a pass whether that's a, whatever that may be however um if you have an understanding of a way that does work or that is uh for some people in some people's eyes a potentially a best practice um it, it does give you a good platform to kind of work from and then you know i guess for me um, you know, an experience of mine that really helped me and uh, start to understand that it's not a a, a go-to or one-size-fits-all approach. Was really, you know, I was working with a, a set of goalkeepers a few years ago, and you know, uh, looking at maybe what, what what kind of techniques would I want to implement or want to kind of put onto them and help them develop with and really understand. 
actually, let me take a step back here, look at what these players are actually doing. Um, I think at the time I was working with six goalkeepers from four different countries, um, but they were all achieving success in their own ways and the task was the same, but they were still getting success. And I was, hold on a second, these guys are very different. And I think that that moment there kind of really helped me open my eyes a little bit, take a step back and think, okay, I've been doing this thing wrong the whole week, the whole the whole time, and I've been getting away with it. Um, and I guess at that moment, I really start paying attention, you know, really to the finer details of what's happening, whether that be the timing of things and the mechanics of the movements, and you know, really start to you know study that stuff. And I, what you know, what ended up happening in the situation was where I thought I had this one size fits all approach. I've now got well, I've got four different approaches now, four different approaches that I can kind of. And, you know, if I use the term you used earlier about that toolbox and, you know, just, I can just bring it out and say, well, okay, well, you know, let's try this one. And if that works for you, great. If that don't work, then I'll, let's try this one. Cause I know this one cause it can also work or, you know, you get, you get kind of get where I'm going with it. And I think it, I guess then it then helped me have a greater appreciation for players and the individual needs and differences. So whether that be a smaller player, whether it be a taller player, a faster player, a slower player, a lighter player, heavier player, you know, you get all the different variables that can exist. Um, you know, and I kind of I, I go from there to kind of say this is that we are moving to a more holistic approach where we talk about you know, helping the players develop their abilities to make better decisions and things like that. But it's still now I'm finding more that a lot of coaches are still kind of commentating to players and facilitating practices for players. However, because they don't have that underpinning of the technical stuff, that's all they're limited to. So where there may be a breakdown uh, or something that could be potentially refined and enhanced further, they're not aware of how and where that could take place. Um, more so because they don't have that underpinning. So they don't actually know where to then look. Um, you know, their, their eye may tell them mm, something not quite right or actually that could be a little bit better. However, because they don't have that information to hand, whether that be something that they've watched someone else or whether they've, you know, got a range of different bits, they just start commentating and facilitating. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And is that something that you've kind of come across and that others witnessed yourself? Yeah, I, th I think it can, it, it, it happens quite a lot at, at grassroots level, definitely. Um, and it, it's difficult for, for, for kind of coaches at the beginning of their journey because, you know, we, we speak about having role models or, or people that have got more experience that we can kind of observe, observe and learn from. And, and it's, it's tough if you haven't got access to someone like that. I mentioned earlier about that, that person that invited me to or, or highlighted the role at, at Southampton that was available. His name's Kevin Braybrook. And uh, I was very fortunate because Kevin was, he was a friend of mine, or he is a friend of mine, but equally he was, at the time, we never labelled it, but he was effectively my mentor. And um, I would watch him work. I would see, and, and his detail was incredible. Um, it was incredible. His, the way that he connected with each individual player within the group, unbelievable. And, and I was very fortunate that at the very beginning of my journey, I had an incredible role model that I practically studied. Anytime I could go and watch him work. So he was a coach in the academy at Southampton. Um, so anytime I'd get in the car, if I wasn't, if I'd just finished my session, I'd get down to to Southampton by 7.30 when his session starts and I'd watch him work. Um, and uh, we would, I would, cause I knew him, I, I kind of had access to ask 
as many questions as I wanted to. And, and the one thing was always really good is he was um, very, uh, how do I say this? He, if, if I asked a question and, and we were speaking and I was maybe going down the wrong line, I might say, you know, I really enjoy the commentary of coaching. He'd be very quick to correct me and he would do it in a respectful way, but he, he was, no, no, you know, you need to really, you know, you don't commentate during practice. You, you kind of praise and you coach and you correct and blah, blah, blah. But so I was very fortunate to have that early on and, and, and that, that, that relationship's maintained through to this day. And he, he's still my first person that if ever I've got a question or, you know, whatever it might be in the game, he's, he's the one I go to. And, um, and, and yeah, so I, th I think that's the challenge is, is I think commentating is something that we do see, but now with more and more, um, coaches getting qualified and coming into the game at whichever level whether that's grassroots whether that's that's the academy or even the senior aspects of of uh, of the game um not everybody can get access to that kind of mentor or that kind of role model so it, it's a challenge because it's great to have someone that you can see that you can observe but when that person also feeds back and interacts with you and, and kind of guides you that's even more powerful so I would recommend to any coach, you know, whether that's someone that, that is local or whether that's a conversation through Zoom or whatever it might be, try and try and pick the brains of, of, of people that, you know, are, are more experienced and not, not even necessarily. I don't want to go down the qualification route. Look, it doesn't matter that I've got the pro license. You know, um, you can learn incredible things from someone that, you know, might not even be in football. They could be they could be a coach in another sport, another discipline. You know, so pick the brains of, of experienced people that, that have coached um, and and I'm sure there'll be some incredible learning in there. Definitely. And I just want to, you know, take you back to your own journey now. Uh, you know, you've, you've had your time I mean, you've gone and done your level one. Um, just to kind of paint a picture of the timeline. What kind of year are we going over there? So I would have done my level one about, well, about, about 19 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So then where so, did the journey go from there? You know, level one, 19 years ago. Yeah, so um, I, I was part-time now in the community at, at Southampton and, and really enjoying that environment. Um, and look, whether this is right or wrong, but, but you know, a lot of times now people complete their courses. Right, now go away, do 12 months and then come, you know, think about applying for the next course. In my head then I was thinking, well, actually, you know, by going on the course, you should teach me what I should know. So as soon as I finished the level one, I got booked onto the level two. Um, and I wanted to get that done quickly. Uh, not in a case of getting it out of the way, but I enjoyed the level one and I was enjoying my part-time role at, at the club so much that I just craved more knowledge and more learning and more, more of the environment. I loved it. So I'd done that very quickly. Um, I did that. I think I was booked on that within a couple of months of my level one. Um, and, and then in terms of the, the job at Southampton, I, I just, I, I, I took every hour I could, you know, um, I structured my outside life, the jobs I was doing around coaching. So now I wanted to make sure that, you know, most schools coaching was, let's say, 2.30 in the afternoon. I wanted to make sure that I was working in, in other roles that allowed me to do that. Uh, and actually, at the time, I was working in a pub. I was doing a, a labouring job as well. But everyone knew that I had to, I had to be at that coaching session because that was, that was my, my kind of target. 
and I went from probably doing two sessions a week as soon as I could it went to three and then it went to four then it went to five then I was doing a you know maybe two sessions on a given day and 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 it just grew over over maybe 18 months I just I just took the hours I could obviously soccer schools during the holiday times that when the kids are off school um and and I didn't realize it at the time but but by taking all the hours I was gaining more knowledge I was more hours of 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 experiencing how to do things um and and I learned some incredible things in those those early times coaching in schools and doing soccer schools things that you know having worked at every age group now um in the professional game uh there's still some lessons I learned in those days that have stuck with me when when I was working with with um you know adults in the pro game so so I didn't know they were valuable back then. They drove me crazy at times. <laughs> you know, you, you tied up more shoelaces than you perhaps ever spoke about passing techniques, but such vital learning and dealing with so many different characters and personalities and, and uh, you know, environments. Um, and then what happened was is uh, Southampton were running what we probably know now as a pre-academy, but it was development centres back in the day. And there was a development centre not far from us in Newbury. Um, and I, and I wanted, and I just wanted to watch as many good coaches as as I could. So I was like, oh, I, I, I drive down to Newbury and I watch the development centre coach working there. Um, so uh, went down and and every every it was a it was a Wednesday night. So every Wednesday when I could, which was most Wednesdays, I made it. I shifted my schedule. I'll go and watch. Um, and and then you know they start to recognise you because you're wearing the badge because you've got your community gear on. You've just come from a community session, uh, and I oh hi you know. And, and then one week, the coach or the assistant coach isn't going to make it on time. Uh, Jay, would you know? Would you mind maybe coming in and just taking a warm up for ten minutes while the other guy's stuck in traffic? Yeah, absolutely, no problem. Absolutely petrified of doing it because it's a new level in front of new coaches, but you do it. And by the way, you're petrified, but at the end of it, you always get through it. You you show up. That's the main thing. So um, did that, and it happened again. Maybe four weeks later, and then before you know it. The, the head of the, the development centre structures rung me up one day and, and was like, uh, Jay, actually, you know, the, the, the coach at the development centre, he's actually away on holiday in three weeks. Would, would you mind stepping in and, and taking the whole session with the lead coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, never asked for money. Not on the agenda for me at that stage. I just wanted the experience. I wanted to show that I was available. And, and I did. And I went in and... and and I'd done that for a period of time. And, and you know, when the, the other guy come back from holiday, I went back to the other side of the fence and I just watched again, always making notes, um, always recording the practices and the key points and the progressions. Um, and then, and then actually I, I, I visited the training ground one day, Southampton's training ground and, and um, the reserve team coach uh, at the time was a guy called Steve Wigley, um, who's now at Fulham. And uh, he was also the assistant under-21s coach for England, assisting Stuart Pearce. Uh, and, and Kevin, my, my mentor, Kevin Braybrook, had, had uh, always spoke highly of Steve. And, and so I heard that, you know, I might be allowed to go into the training ground. I asked the, the development centre manager and they're like, yeah, come on down. So I went in and, and from a very respectable distance, I went to observe Steve Coach. Incredible. Talk about technical detail. Steve was incredible with it. So, and I'm like scribbling through my pad, everything I can get, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I asked, do you mind if I maybe come down again in, in the future on a Wednesday? And they're like, oh, no problem. You're always welcome. 
so I took that I took that opportunity. So before long, I was I was still working in the community, but now I shifted my schedule. So I was attending the training ground every every Wednesday, and now I was getting respected respectively uh, respectfully from a distance. I was now observing and making notes on Gordon Strachan. Uh, and this was over a period of time. So I, I, I watched many Gordon Strachan sessions, uh, Harry Redknapp sessions, George Burley sessions, Steve Wigley sessions, Kevin Braybrook sessions. There was a youth team coach at the time called George Prost, um, French guy that come in with, with a French methodology that was his saying was technique, technique, technique. So I was very fortunate to be watching um, this, this, this renowned French coach who was all about technique. And again, at the time, wasn't really what we now know, but the group he was coaching was the Gareth Bales, the Adam Lalanas, the Theo Walcotts. Um, so incredible players, incredible coaches. The learning was phenomenal. And that was all my choice to not work on a Wednesday. Never got paid for any of it, but proactively seeking that. Um, so the learning was incredible. And during this time, uh, an opportunity came to go full time at Southampton in the community department, which, uh, which, which I was interested in and, and, and the club, um, you know, offered me the position. So now, you know, probably within that, that, that two year period, I was now full time in the community. Um, and the community manager that I reported to was a part time. What's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat, picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket, outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply coaching the academy so he appreciated my desire for learning and then then one summer I get a call from the head of uh, the, the the guy that Dave Puckett who headed up the development centers but he also headed up the 12s and below in the academy and asked if I'd be interested in in maybe an assistant role with the under 10s in the academy snapped his hand off didn't even didn't even need to think about it absolutely so again now I took my learning and my experience and 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 observations of other coaches to the next level because I was now the sponge in the academy I was just watching everything listening to everything recording notes on everything um incredible learning journey and and at the time we knew we knew Southampton was a good academy but we didn't realize the quality that you know was to to kind of grow and come out of it in the next few years so I was in an unbelievable environment of learning um with so many good coaches so so such incredible um 
knowledge mm. that I could just just learn from. And, and the interesting thing, yeah, is going back to your point about the toolbox and what we see today. Um, the coaches then hadn't that that the style of coach education now and the content, the curriculum we see now wasn't there back then. It was as you labelled it, the kind of previous kind of structure of coach education. These coaches were incredible, and and what. Hugh Jennings, the academy director, and, and, and Steve Wrigley, the head of coaching, did really well, is I think they created a, a set of staff that was so complementary but yet so different. The under-9s coach was an incredible teacher, incredible teacher. The under-10s coach, community manager, great with young children. Um, the under-13s coach, uh, he was a really high-level non-league player. The under-12s coach was a bit of an older guy, but had played at the highest levels of non-league as well. The under-13s coach, ex-England international. Under-14s coach uh, was a, uh, a college university lecturer. Under-15s coach was Kevin Braybrook. Under-16s coach, um, ex-player. So such a good diversity of backgrounds and knowledge. I think that was a real powerful part of the, the development structure at Southampton. Uh, for the player development pathway, I think it was great that really led to that that awesome generation that come through. But actually, at the time, I didn't I didn't understand until maybe I was a bit more experienced in coaching. I think those personalities, as the, as the players would have gone through that, that what they experienced from the coaches, I, I think all the coaches could 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 coach the technical detail and understand, but their personalities and how they engage with kids and the work ethic they demonstrated was, I was fortunate. I was fortunate to be able to learn in that environment. Definitely. You know, you talked a lot about your experience. So thank you for that as well. You know, there's a lot of great people that you've probably come across along that journey. I'm just curious now, you know, you've got about 19, 18 years and, you know, on your, on your, you've gone into level two and you talked a little bit about how you made your way into the Southampton Academy. But if we fast forward a little bit now, you know, before you headed out to Canada, um, correct me if I'm wrong, one of your last roles in England was obviously as the Academy Director over at Burnley. Yeah. How have you gone from that, that kid or that young man who's just on the other side of the fence watching sessions at Southampton, trying to pick up little bits and pieces there, fast forward all the way now to Academy Director at Burnley um, with the pro license? Well, I think one thing to say that influenced me is, is Hugh Jennings, who's now the Academy Director at Fulham. Hugh was, uh, I, I was fascinated by the way Hugh worked as, as the Academy Director at Southampton. And I think it just although I was doing all the coaching and, and my, I was very coaching focused, just something, something was in, in the back of my head about an academy manager, academy director. But again, at this stage, I was, I was mid to late twenties in that. And now's not the time to think about that. I still needed to develop my craft as a coach, but I think something stuck. And then I started the A license journey. Uh, and, I'm, like, and I loved everything about Southampton. But I was coaching in the under-10s. I was now the lead coach of the under-10s by this stage. And it was small-sided games. And we all know for your A licence, you need to be, um, you need to think about 11 v 11 kind of um, experience, which I didn't have. You did back then? Back, back then, yeah. So prior to the A licence, they highlighted that, um, you know, 11 v 11 was going to be a key component of the course and having experience within being able to deliver 11 v 11 sessions was probably going to be really important. I didn't have that. So um, the pathway at Southampton to go into 11 v 11, it may have come around in time, I don't know, but I wasn't anticipating that I was going to get that in the next kind of six to nine months ready for the, the A licence, which I would have been on in that time frame. So I looked down the road at Bournemouth and uh, 
had a chat with Derek Old, the centre of excellence manager down there. And Southampton was an academy. Bournemouth was a centre of excellence under the old system. Um, and uh, I had a chat with Derek and, and they actually uh, offered me a role with the under 15s, which was 11 v 11. So for my A licence quest, I very thankfully but reluctantly moved on from Southampton because I really valued what they had given for me. But to get that qualification and increase my learning, I probably wouldn't have done the 11 v 11 journey at Saints. So I went to Bournemouth and there, as naturally you do in the game, um, things evolve at, at first team level. And, and uh, I was taking the 15s for a couple of, and then um, the Football League funding allowed for a full-time technical development officer and Bournemouth offered me the role. So I, I become a full-time technical development officer at Bournemouth. Um, and uh, I got to know Eddie Howe a little bit. Eddie was was working with the reserves and, as ever, staff changes at the club and, and um, Eddie becomes first team manager and, and working with him around the youth department and, and the reserves for a little while. I think he had, uh, he, he had appreciated the way I worked and, and my work ethic and, and got heavily involved with Eddie. Um, then, as ever, with clubs, more change happens. The ownership of the club changed. Um, and sometimes that can mean new staff and, and evolution and... and um, that happened at the club and, and I felt it was maybe after a, a couple of years, a good time for me to move on. Um, and I did. And again, without knowing it, kind of those little academy director triggers happened because um, I went to work for Reading for a year, um, which is the, the nearest club to, to my hometown, Basingstoke. Um, and I was very, very fortunate to come across the late Eamon Dolan, academy director. Uh, incredible man, incredible engager of people um how he communicated to people how he made people feel you know i think i think you, the, the saying people don't remember what you say they remember how you make them feel that is a that that is Eamon dolan and he had an assistant uh, academy director lee Aaron, who i worked for a year with these guys um and i was the nines coach loved it i was i love being at reading because these two guys were incredible people to learn and watch and observe every day and just have conversations with Eddie goes to burnley um he spends six months there um before like so he joined in november and then at the end of the season naturally staff evolution and he offered me a role with the club with the under 21s which again reluctant to leave reading i, I really appreciated what they did i was part-time at reading though and i would have really appreciated being around Eamon and lee for a little bit longer i think there was more learning to, to be had there for sure but a full-time job at a club i'd never really thought about 21s um, so it was, it was a real big kind of, could I do it? Could I do it? And, and I decided to take the opportunity and actually Eamon was the one that, that really pushed me, um, in a real kind of constructive way. Um, and then within that first year at Burnley, news of the triple P broke. And then we knew there was going to be a real big evolution of the game. Um, and through that evolution of the triple P, the, the club, um, the opportunity to, to to kind of head up the academy come round in the early stages of the EPPP and and funny enough the Hugh Jennings and and the Eamon Dolan experiences although I didn't clearly have it figured out and kind of in in a goal or a plan I think they had they had influenced me so much that I started to be curious and intrigued by the role and I knew I wanted to do it one day but the other thing is you never know when you get the chance being offered the the role at Burnley. If I said no, do I know if I would have ever got the opportunity again? Um, and so I took, I took the opportunity. 
um, I passed my A license by this stage. I'd passed that back uh, when I was down in Bournemouth. Um, the 11 v 11 stuff was pivotal. So good decision there. And, and so, yeah, that's a kind of bit of a fast track through, through probably, probably about t- 10 years. That process was 10 years to becoming the Academy director at Burnley in, in 2011, 2012, it would have been. Mm. And the EPPP was a, a fascinating journey for, for many, many people. Yeah, they obviously, you know, that's near, you know, around the time of the inception of the EPPP. Um, I guess, you know, you know, obviously, you know, quite, a, quite an extensive period of time in terms of the range of experiences of some of the individuals that you've come across in that time frame. I'm, you know, I'm curious to know now then, and if there was, a, you know, maybe one or two key individuals, who would they be and what, what were the biggest lessons you took from them? Well, I think first and foremost, Kevin Braybrook was easily and still is the biggest influence on me as a coach and as a coach educator, as an academy director. Any of my roles in football, Kevin, Kevin's still a huge, huge influence. Um, and I'm still learning from him today. Uh, and then the other one would be would be Eddie Howe. You know, I had a lot of time with Eddie at Bournemouth and, and, and Burnley and, and um, you know, work ethic, technical detail, vision, uh, principles, all huge, huge learning things, learned so much. But then equally, Sean Dyche comes in and uh, I, I learned so much from Sean Dyche as well. I was very fortunate enough to, to, to kind of be in the dressing room and around him on match days and, and the learning was incredible. Um, so one, Kevin was, was pivotal and still is, but then when you can kind of, you have that access to people like Eddie Howe and, and, and then um, Sean Dyche, the, the learning's incredible. Um, and the principles of what they teach you actually stand whether you're working in schools as a 24-year-old or whether you're working in a professional game at first-team level at, at, at 36, um, the principles are transferable. So that, that they, would be, they would be the three kind of... And there's been many people, like I say, Eamon Dolan, Lear, and people like that, real significant influences on me as a, as a person and also as a coach, definitely. You know, and then kind of, you know, just to kind of move, move things on a little bit more, than you know, 20-odd years now in the game, um, I'm still, you know, looking at you, still so you know, quite relatively young. How, how old are you, Jason? 43. 43, so 20, 20 years, you know, it's a long, long time and uh, plenty of experience to have at that age already. Um, I guess over that time, having observed so many positive role models and, and, and you know, in that journey, what, and I'm, we've all got them, but I'm just curious, you know, what, what, what are some of the bugbears for you then? You know, we've talked a little bit about some of mine and I've kind of shared that with you and I'd be interested to know whether whether you have any and what they particularly might be. Um, uh, I'll probably rephrase some of the challenges I think we see now. Um, I think one thing, the EPPP created jobs and with that became uh, jobs where people had to have a certain qualification, be licensed. Um, and and we, we had it at Burnley. You know, we had to fulfil mandatory positions quickly so what it means is coaches get elevated that journey i spoke to you about for me and what i went that's maybe a six seven eight year journey we were seeing some coaches getting to that point maybe within two and a half years Mm -hmm. so i think sometimes we forget where we you know the the important valuable lessons we learn at the fundamental stages at schools and learning our trade and developing our craft i think i think the triple b created maybe a, a a bit of a vacuum which moved people maybe quicker than than would have been helpful for them 
you know, they're in positions where perhaps they feel that they've now got the knowledge and the competence, but actually it was a qualification that got them, that fast-tracked them, like a game of snakes and ladders. They landed on a ladder and, and moved somewhere quite quickly. Um, so I, I think that that was definitely a challenge. Um, and it, it, it gave those people um, their own challenges and hurdles that they had to overcome. Um, I think I think the game lost some great, knowledge through the EPPP as well the the perhaps coaches that were you know a little bit older and, and have been in the career for a long time but perhaps wouldn't cope with the demands of the EPPP coaching requirements particularly off the field um, and that's a lot of game knowledge that perhaps disappeared out of the environment um, so I think by the way I thought the EPPP was very good 95% of the EPPP I agreed with because I think the game needed needed a uh, what the EPPP brought, but there was there was some casualties within it that I felt we lost a lot of um, a lot of real extensive knowledge of the game. We lost out of the environment because of things like mandatory qualifications or youth awards or technical components of the job, particularly the IT aspect. Um, so I, I would suggest that. Then I think the other challenges I would I would maybe see is. I don't see many people volunteering anymore. Uh, maybe I'm just in the wrong places. I don't see it. Um, I think, I think doing your dues is a really important aspect of, of your pathway. Um, just on that though, do you think, you know, it's just a question. I, I don't have any evidence or anything at all, but do you think that's because of what you, what you noted earlier in that, in that, that it seems to be progressively, uh, quicker to get through that journey of qualification is that less people are, are, are inclined or more people are less inclined yeah to yes maybe it could be that you know maybe society's changed maybe the the generation of people that are growing up now have different values maybe um I, i've i've worked in in football for full time now for, for probably about 18 years and maybe i'm a little bit detached from society because i've i, I work in football and football's a, a the kind of environment to itself so maybe there's an element of society um i don't know um but i certainly remember when i was the academy director at burnley um if someone wanted to volunteer or put themselves out and be proactive they would always always get my attention the is ones that, and i remember those times is that because that's a pathway that you went down so you can have a bit more empathy and compassion for that um, I, I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure there is that. But equally, I think when you're so football is an incredibly attractive environment and, and we love the game as fans. We love the game. And if that chance comes around where you can maybe become a coach, there's a, there's an unbelievable amount of people that would crave for that opportunity. So that's where I think we'll go on. How are you going to how are you going to differentiate yourself from the crowd? I, I remember there were times when you would, you would give a learning opportunity, but people would then say, well, how much are you going to pay? What's the money? And you're like, but it was never said in the way like, well, oh, you know, I, I do need to pay the bills. And it was just like, well, okay, so I'm going to give you my time. So kind of what, what do I get paid for it? And it's like, this is, this is an opportunity to come and learn. This is, you know, come and shadow the coaches and, you know, earn your kind of time and develop your knowledge and craft. Um, and this now is post beginning of EPPP. Jobs have now filled. Um, so I, I, I think 
now speaking to the, the kind of leaders in the game at the different levels that I, I, I talk to, I think most of us would agree that, that if there's a proactive kind of uh, coach who really wants to come in and, and show what they're worth, I think most leaders would gravitate to those. Yeah, just on that then. Show the right characteristics. Yeah, just on that then. You know, what would you say is the best way for someone to go and approach that? Because, you know, you, you, rightly or wrongly, a lot of coaches who maybe would want to pursue something like that would probably be targeting the, some of the big clubs, yeah. naturally. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, I think that's really interesting because you don't have to go to the big clubs. Yeah. There's some really good coaches working at all levels of the game. You know, um, if people think they, they need to go to Man City or to Tottenham, because that's where, look, if you can go there, brilliant, because unbelievable environments, no doubt about it. But what's to say there isn't an unbelievable under 12 coach working at Southend or working at Aldershot, you know? So, um, and, and, and I would go back to, to, to kind of what I did. And, and, and I would suggest if people want to get those opportunities, um, respectfully ask if, if you can go and observe coaches. And when I say respectfully, don't walk on the pitch, don't talk to the coach. You know, maybe you might be able to get to speak to the coach after the session, but never before and never during. Um, make notes, you know, make sure that you're using it as a learning experience. But then the big one, which I think, looking back now, I think something that really did me well is my observations were consistent. I would go to the training ground every Wednesday. Before that, I would go to the Newbury Development Centre every Wednesday evening. And eventually, they, they would just see me every week. And it's like... Okay, okay. And once you're consistent, I think it's almost like a, a trust. It's almost like, a, a, oh, you're committed. Oh, you, this is serious for you. I want to know more. They get curious about you. So then you get invited over the other side of the fence. Yeah. They want to ask questions. And, and so I think, I think being proactive, and these are things yes, that we all know, and I'm, I'm certainly not reinventing this advice, but be proactive, be respectful, be consistent. And then suddenly I think, I think, conversations start to be had whether they're conversations that you're involved in or people that you're going to watch start having conversations away from you about oh that lad's coming again do you know my assistant's leaving in three months maybe we should speak to that young lad that keeps coming to watch training you know or you know that 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 girl that keeps going to watch the games on the weekend you know maybe we should have a chat with her see if she wants to come in and, and do a little bit for us on a because we've got that intern position coming up soon yeah. You you get yourself in people's minds, but consistency is a big part of it. Mm. It's kind of you just kind of a little bit. Then you know, I'm you know curious to know along those twenty odd years, what's been one of your biggest challenges, and is it something that potentially you're still dealing with, or maybe something that you've overcome? And if so, how how have you overcome that? Wow, big question, big question. Uh, and and yes, I just want to make one one emphasis about um, the last topic about about volunteering and being proactive. Um, there was a guy, when I was at Bournemouth, um, a guy emailed me and said, I'd like to come and scout for you. And we were in administration, I had no money. So my first thought in my head, uh, I, I, I emailed him back and said, I really appreciate that, but we've got no money. We're, we're literally in administration. We're waiting for the club to be purchased. And, and emailed me back and said, I don't want you to pay me said, I don't want you to pay me. Um, watch me work for six to nine months. And if you then think I'm worthy of payment, you can pay me. Wow. That guy now is the head of recruitment for senior head of recruitment for a, a championship club. His journey's just done that. And his proactive nature was incredible. 
And I'll never forget that. And if anyone wants to make their way in the game, that's a way of doing it. Definitely. So in terms of my big challenge, wow, my big challenge. Um, yes, that's a question, by the way. Uh, I would say the biggest challenge is to, or one of the biggest challenges is to do what you think is right. Whether that's coaching, you know, find your way of coaching. You know, when we talk about watching so many people, don't copy them, find your way, you know, and when there's challenges, if you truly believe in what you're doing, stick to it. Doesn't matter. Uh, someone, someone that I that, that I did one of my courses with has now got a high high uh, high position at a club, and in his office he's got um, ignore the noise. You know, and I think that's a really important message. I think have the faith in your own ability, whatever you're doing, whether that's becoming an academy director, whether that's like me, I went to go and work in China for a year. You know, scary moves, scary process, but back yourself, believe in what you believe in, your principles. Don't, don't get distracted by what, what, what's coming from the outside. Some things you might have to deal with as an academy director, you've got to deal with certain things that, you know, is, is your remit, but develop your way, continue to learn and continue to um, reflect and analyze your way. And can you do it better, but don't get sidetracked by all the craziness outside. Um, and look, that craziness might be, it might be tactical trends in the game. That's, you know, when, when this Barcelona generation, you know, that when, when Pep Guardiola was in charge and we saw these unbelievable shapes and patterns and passing patterns and possession, passive, like all these things, I, th I think the coaching fraternity went crazy for it. And we can get distracted by things tunnel vision on, on, on what you're doing, what your role is. Learn by these things, absolutely. But every time something happens, we see coaching styles. You know, we see certain role models in the game, Premier League, you know, one minute, you know, we know Roy Hodgson works a very specific way, you know, and then he's successful and right, okay, so we're going to, and then suddenly a new coach comes in, they work a very different way. Oh, we're going to do it that way now because he's really successful. And, and, I want, and then you see Jill Wellis win, with the US national team, women's team, and you're like, right, well, I watched that doc documentary on Netflix that Joe Ellis spoke about this, so I'm now going to do that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Know your way, absorb kind of new knowledge, but decide, play with it, and figure it out, but stick stick to your way. But oh. let that be an evolution as well. 100%. And I was just having a conversation literally just a couple of days ago when I was talking to you know, saying that, you know, we need to not get too fixated. You know, we were saying before about the conversation here, you know, not on those, on those X's and O's, they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. And you know, whatever you see now, it's been done before. Whether it was five years ago, whether it's 10 years ago, and right now everyone's doing this three, five, two, or four, three, three, it, you know, it's only going to be two, three more years and the four, four, two is going to be back in. Um, and everyone's going to jump on that bandwagon. And I think, you know, I think you make a great point there. You know, I guess, you know, speaking in terms of challenges and, like I said, advice in that respect, and you know, not we're not getting sucked into that. I mean, I'm curious enough. If I gave you an opportunity to go back, Jason Blake at 23, getting involved in coaching, what would be the message that you'd want to give yourself back then? Be patient. 
be patient. You haven't got to get there in a day. And I, I, I have no regrets about how quick I processed through. Uh, I proceeded through the coaching qualifications, finish level two, get on level three. No, no challenge with that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of career development, be patient. Be patient. And and I don't think, you know, maybe that's more generic advice to to, to young coaches, um, because I set, I did actually set some goals on my journey that I wanted to achieve before I was forty, um, and things like being an academy director. Now that did come around, the opportunity come around, but, you know, to put it by the time I'm 40, maybe was a bit of impatience for mm-hmm. some of the goals, you know. Um, so just to be patient, the, the, the doors will open. If, if, if what you do day to day is, you know, you demonstrate the right characteristics, you enjoy what you do, um, you work hard, uh, the opportunities come, whether that's where you are, whether that's other clubs, other countries it's a global game now i never thought i'd work in china never thought i'd work in china through the things that you do and the choices you make is where the opportunities come from so just be patient um that would be the big one brilliant you know, so as we start to wind down i'm curious to know you know you're currently over in canada um but what's next for jason blake canada that's that's next that this is one Outside of the game, fantastic country. Um, I'm I'm engaged to uh, a, a Canadian woman who, who um, is really important to me. So so being in her home country is really important to me. Um, but then from a, a, a football context, the World Cup's coming to Canada in 2026. They're they're co-hosting a World Cup with the US and Mexico. And as you know, anyone that was around for Euro '96 how a country generates that buzz and love for the game when there's a national to- uh, uh, an international tournament coming, I cannot wait to see how the game's going to explode in Canada. Mm. Um, the, the Canadian Premier League just started. Uh, just before I left China, it was starting. Um, and uh, fascinating, two years in now, obviously the last season was, was affected by COVID, but real exciting times for Canadian soccer in that sense. Um, the, the National Association, they've just introduced a club licensing programme at grassroots level, um, which feeds into to the elite level. Um, so it's a kind of P type of thing. And that's going to be, in my opinion, that's going to be an incredible platform for the game here. Um, and, you know, with the three MLS clubs here as well. Um, and now we've got the Alfonso Davies kind of has shone a light on Canada as well. Such an exciting place to be for football. Um, great country, great people. The game's growing. Um, yeah, this is, and, and this will this will be kind of, and you mentioned about kind of winding down a little bit. I think this is a great place to kind of, you know, start to, to, to finish off is for maybe that, that 20 years, for maybe the first 18 years, if this is life and career, career was there. And there, there wasn't really much of a life. And then in the last couple of years of, of meeting my partner, that's now what it looks like going forwards. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a point 20 years in where I'm taking a, I've made a shift to that, that life and work balance. Um, and that's why living in a great country and no disrespect to China, but I wouldn't have settled down for a kind of a 10 year plan in China. Um, but Canada, brilliant place to live, brilliant place to work. Yeah. Great place to to evolve what we're doing Excellent. and to continue my journey. Cause I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, there's no end product in this. 
every day is a learning day and and you know i know i know um that's that's a phrase a lot of people use and lifelong learner it's you know to come into a new country now and learn how they do it like china you can't just drag and drop the english structure and you can't do it in canada you know so really good to, to push myself and challenge myself with a, a new environment uh set up a, a a grassroots club here youth club um working with an incredible company uh, um and a guy so i work um where i live here is there's a there was a brand new indoor facility and and if you don't know canada particularly the province that i'm in alberta snows for seven months of the year so outdoor soccer can't take place so brand new indoor facility was being built just as i arrived um and the the kind of brains behind it is a guy who is a um ex-us ice hockey olympian incredible guy um and we hit it off very early and now uh, I'm the technical director for that facility for their whole whole soccer program, but with that we've got coach education, we've got player development. We've, you know, we're, we're trying to create and, and help develop an area of of our province, um, which is a really exciting project. And and similar to you, Yaz, as you said about being a coach educator, I, I I do love coaching, but coach education is really a, a something that I think the environment in Canada needs some some help with, because if if player development's important here they need to develop that but if the coach education isn't supporting it then the player development so we're, we're trying to really help develop the community of soccer where we are um and really passionate to do it excellent and you know just on you know if i gave you 60 seconds now and i've given there's been plenty of nuggets in this one already but if you had 60 seconds now to wrap one up got a you know one golden nugget or however many you can fit in that 60 seconds for the listeners what would they be I would say, I think it's like we said, be proactive, you know, and, and we've kind of already said it. Don't judge yourself by the level you work at. If you're a grassroots coach and you're a very good coach, you're a very good coach. If you're working in an academy and you're, um, you perhaps are sloppy and lazy as a coach. It doesn't matter you work in academy, you're a sloppy, lazy coach. So don't define yourself by the environment you're in. Define yourself by what you do as a coach and how you engage with players and how you kind of develop your knowledge and, you know, that side of it. Because I think, uh, uh, how many times you hear that phrase, I'm just, I'm just a grassroots coach. I just work in the community at this non-league club. I just coach in schools. Lose the just. Yeah. 100%. I think, I think oh, that's a great way to look at it. Certainly, I think a lot of coaches should maybe take that on board and, and start reflecting on where they're at, not, not in terms of the environment, but in terms of the level, their, their level of their output more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, you know, just on, on the final note then, you know, Jace, you know, obviously still relatively young in comparison to the amount of years you have, at least anyway. Um, don't want to wish your journey away, but you know, I'm just curious to know now, you know, on the back end of that journey or more specifically when you've left an environment or you're leaving an environment or leaving a, a working relationship of some sort, what's, what's the kind of legacy that you want to leave behind for people that have come in contact with you? Great, great question. Uh, I think, I think, I think knowledge, I think, I think passing the baton and, and helping. That's why I love the project we're, we're doing in Canada is helping to develop people's knowledge and competence of, of, of helping people love the game, you know, brilliant city above me, 90 minutes. That's where Alfonso Davies come from. Brilliant. Incredible. But that's one player, you know, 
our jobs as coaches is to, to positively affect every kid we ever work with. And first and foremost is not to make them Alfonso Davies, but just to help them love the game. And that's, that's it. You know, I think we spoke about it earlier about getting, getting caught up in inverted fullbacks or overlapping center backs and all that. Forget all that. Just make sure the kids enjoy what we're doing. Help them love the game, help them enjoy playing, help them stay fit, help them maintain their friends and build more friends. And then the Alfonso Davies opportunities, they generate themselves. Not, and by the way, I'm not saying that an Alfonso Davies comes around every day of the week. They don't. But first and foremost, love of the game, enjoy the game. Um, there was a saying, actually, I've never heard this, and I, and I, and I heard it for the first time when, when I arrived here. And um, they say, not every grassroots player will be an elite player, but every elite player was once a grassroots player. Mm-hmm. So that, for me, is so important. And to, to make sure we, we give every player at grassroots level the opportunity to love the game, to play the game, to enjoy the game, to progress in the game. That's it for me. That's, that's got to be the legacy. Whether I do it or whether I'm teaching others how to do it, that's the legacy. I totally agree with that. I think that's a great saying to kind of, uh, I guess, keep your eyes uh, set on. But Jason, it's been a really, you know, it's been a pleasure for me to have this uh, time with you today. I really enjoyed the conversation. There's plenty of nuggets uh, for the listeners and viewers to kind of latch on to. Um, you know, just in case there, you know, any of the listeners of yours did have any further questions around some of the stuff that we've discussed or beyond that, you know, whether that be your journey or just getting some general advice, is there somewhere where they can, you know, get in touch with you to do that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, probably one of the easiest places would be through social media. So uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn. They can find me on Twitter, which is uh, at Jason Blake underscore 18 um, would be would be a good way of doing it. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you again, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Um, you know, still on lockdown, but, you know, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And hopefully, we'll, you know, there'll be some more stuff coming out in the near future. Yes, I appreciate it. Thanks very much for, for inviting me on. I'm obviously now in North America, so I'm going to wish you happy holidays. And uh, I look forward to um, listening to more of your podcasts. Okay. I think this has been really good. So I look forward to listening to some of the others. Brilliant. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.